welcome to the new episode of Supplycast, a podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, I have Malcolm Littlewood with me. Hi, Malcolm. Hi, Bruce. How are you doing today? Uh, busy as usual. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, every day it can be stressful. This is uh, just one of those days. Just one of those days. <laughs> You is uh, it was interesting because when we were setting this up, um, I, I know you sort of said, you know, how do we do it? And I said, well, it's virtual and we do it over Zoom. And um, you said, oh, well, I'll have to sort of kind of download that again because you hadn't used Zoom since the since the peak of COVID, since during COVID. I'm sure we'll get onto COVID a bit later in, in the podcast, inevitably. First of all, Malcolm, can you tell me, for those who don't know, but many will know, because you are, I think, what would be known as a well-known figure, generally, well, in human. Some people would say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, can you stop, just let me know what you what it is you're currently doing? Yeah, at the moment... Not not um, recording a podcast, obviously. That's what you're currently, course, currently yeah, doing. No, no. What are you currently no, doing within your career? I'm working for Sheffield Teaching Hospitals. Um, joined, I retired, actually, um, and came back... Uh, because uh, you can only paint the shed so many times, can't you? <laughs> my golf swing is not uh, one to be desired. So I decided to get out from under my my wife's feet and yeah. come back and, uh, and do something productive. So uh, until recently, I was the deputy head of clinical procurement. Uh, I've now handed that baton over to my successor, uh, and I'm now looking at... Um, as well as providing some capital support uh, at this time of year, which is always, as you probably know, a very stressful mm -hmm. occasion if you're trying to get equipment over the line before the financial year end. Yeah. But I'm also looking at processes uh, that we use uh, <clears throat> to acquire capital equipment to see whether we can take out everything that adds cost and improve processes that add value. So, uh, so yeah, it's keeping me pretty busy. I mean, where do we begin with this, Malcolm? Because I guess we'll begin at the beginning of how you got into NHS yeah, yeah, procurement. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the reason why I said where do we begin is because the one thing that everyone says is Malcolm has been within the community for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's and unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, everyone, this is this is the main thing. It's like, you know, your tribute to longevity within the community. Uh, but how did you first uh, come into it? Right, okay. Um, you have to go back to uh, 1969 uh, when uh, I was looking, uh, left college and looking for something to gainfully occupy my time and saw uh, an advert for a job as a clerical assistant in procurement at uh, Middlewood Hospital in Sheffield, uh, which is now 55 years ago last month. Wow. <laughs> wow. And the, and the rest <laughs> is history, as they say. <laughs> I mean that. I mean, I mean that's extraordinary. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got, I've got to ask because I just, I, I can't wait <laughs> to not ask. Is the fact that what I think is really interesting. Not only have you done obviously many, many years service within NHS NHS procurement. But um, as you just said at the, at the at the top of the program, you you have retired once. But what drew, drew you back in? I know you were being quite. I know I know you've been you know 
um, you know, glib and saying, well, you know, I was getting it all my wife's feet. But what was it? I mean, you must have missed it, right? Yeah, I think what, what happened is that that kind of generated my, um, shall we say, activity in for this particular role was the fact that I worked for supply chain until to NHS supply chain until 2008 uh, when I left there and um, started to do consultancy work. Uh, so kind of worked my way for the next for the last 10 years working um, I've been uh, head of procurement at Chesterfield Royal, uh, head of procurement at Yorkshire Ambulance Trust, head of procurement at Sheffield Health and Social Care, uh, head of procurement Tameside. Uh, so I've kind of uh, moved around, you could say, and uh, got quite used to doing that. Uh, and then I decided uh, that in 2019, it was probably time for me to retire. And, uh, and that's what I did. Uh, but I've said that before and uh, came back again. So uh, I'm a bit like a boomerang, really. And, uh, and somebody said to me, you'll never retire. You'll never retire. Uh, and um, But I am kind of looking forward over the next few months to perhaps either stopping uh, or, and retiring for good or perhaps doing something two, three days a week. Yeah. Uh, but I'll have to be. I'll have to be forcibly dragged away. I think because. Uh, <laughs> so, so what was it? Was it? Was it the? Um, was it the loss of that kind of routine? Was it working with the the other people within the community? Was it? Was it just? Did you just miss the day to day of it? Yeah, I think. I think was... it was. You know, I mean, people always say that you know you work for the NHS not for the money, but because it's a vacation rather than a job, and uh, you know, I think. It can be very stressful at times, but I think, you know, the thing that kind of kept me going was the fact that, you know, I mean, it sounds rather twee, doesn't it? But you're making a bit of a contribution towards mm. the frontline staff who, yeah. uh, who uh, I think we've all perhaps experienced uh, the need for healthcare at some time in our lives. <clears throat> if we haven't, we've been very lucky. Uh, and it was a question, it's like giving a bit back, really, I suppose, mm. really, and trying to support those people who... Uh, who do actually deliver the, the frontline care. Um, and, yeah, yeah miss, miss obviously working with people. Always enjoyed, um, you know, working um, with with teams. And, and I think, we, I know you'd suggest, we, we touched on the fact that we might have uh, touch on COVID and things mm -hmm. like that. The thing that kind of um, was striking to me when I came back after working pre-COVID was having to do things on teams and never having face-to-face -face meetings. And uh, I'm not sure we'll ever go back to those days when you sat in a room with 20, 30 people crammed yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, had to travel uh, quite extensive distances to meetings and things like that, which is perhaps not a bad thing after all, saving all those carbon miles. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a journey. And uh, as I say, um, I still enjoy the uh, what what procurement brings to the table, and uh, and how it contributes, as I say, to uh, to frontline care. And I guess that would be your explanation of your longevity, just the fact that just enjoying the job. 
Yeah, I think it keeps... I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, when they retire, if they've got no plans, they kind of, you know, are lost, really. They're kind of... Um, worst thing to do is kind of sit in a chair or, or have no have no purpose, if you like. So mm. I think the reason, you know, for working past my sell-by date as well <laughs> is uh, is to keep active, to keep alert. It keeps you, it keeps you on your toes and... Uh, as I say, and you also get paid for it, which is which is yeah. Marvelous. I was going to say it's either that or Sudoku, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that either. Um, you, I, touched, you touched on COVID. Um, I mean, might as well walk through that door now. It's been touched on. Um, you know, one of the questions I had was, you know, things like the kind of changes that you've seen, and you know, what the greatest challenges that you think there's there's been. I I remember actually retiring and then taking a holiday. Uh, in early 2020, uh, right. having been delayed for two days by a sandstorm. Mm. And I turned to my wife and I said, well, at least nothing else could happen this year. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean... got back and uh, yeah, pandemic. So I wasn't working uh, at the time. Uh, so I kind of, uh, I, I know colleagues who were working found it mm. very, very extremely stressful and very, very difficult. And uh, I was probably glad in a way that I was uh, I was not working at that time. But I did actually, as I say, came back during the latter stages of the, of the pandemic when we were still wearing face masks. Sure. We, didn't have, we didn't have face-to-face meetings. How was it then? It was, it was surreal, really, for me, because it yeah. was a very unnatural mm-hmm. situation. I know the people who'd been there and worked during the pandemic perhaps have got used to it to a degree, but it came, mm. must admit, to a bit of a shock to me about having sitting at a desk with a with a big plastic screen in front, and if you left your desk, you had to put a mask on. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was surreal. And then having meetings with people who, uh, it looked like the, uh, you know, had the blankety-blank programme where you got all those people in boxes. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The Teams yeah. meetings always struck to me like, you know, that you're actually <laughs> having that kind of conversation with multiple people on a screen. And, uh, again, I think that took a bit of getting used to. But, uh, but yeah, but uh, it gradually relaxed. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, I think the, the thing about it as well is that because the space constraints meant that we couldn't, all the team couldn't come back into work all at the same time because we still kept the desk configurations because the expense of putting them back to where they were are quite primitive. So um, we have teams that that come in on particular days of the week. So you never have the whole procurement team in at any one time uh, on any one day, simply because there isn't room yeah. Uh, so uh, we work remotely, and then we all have days when we come into the office, which seems to work okay. It's a bit of a yeah. hybrid working relationship, but um, yeah, people have got used to it now, and uh, I think accept it. So, so therefore, having avoided most of COVID with, you know, what seems extraordinary foresight, um, <laughs> what was the most challenge during your your main working period? Um, I think that the, the, it was mainly over, over the last 15 years, I suppose, really, it was um, the, the jobs I had, because they were interim jobs, was being parachuted into 
uh, trust where the head of procurement has left and they hadn't replaced them. Right. And uh, the challenges were, and the, they hadn't replaced them for quite a lot of reasons, sometimes because they couldn't recruit to the role. Sometimes um, there were issues that they wanted somebody to come in and sort out. So uh, you never knew what was coming when you went, went into some of the some of the uh, the, the trusts. Uh, and uh, as I said, they all had their different challenges, and uh, and they were all very different. Um, the thing is, with those, you know that you're not going to be there for very long. So the opportunity to make a real difference and change things isn't really there as much as it would be if you joined and you were going to be full-time and be there for four, five, six, ten years or whatever it was. So, yeah, very, very different challenges. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, I, I I enjoyed the kind of uh, what was coming around the next corner, as it were. Yeah. Some um, people don't like that, but you know, I found. Yeah, yeah. Quite... You're, you're, I mean, everyone that says about the this the community, the procurement, <laughs> NHS procurement community, the industry, is that you know you need to be ready. Things change so often. Things are changed, and goalposts are moved, or you know this kind of stuff. And and um and obviously we have that at the moment. You know, there's a lot going on at the moment with CCF and the Procurement Act, etc. And I've spoken to Andrew Daly there at Hempson's or whoever are saying that this is the most sort of change kind of going on that they've seen within a community, which is always in some sort of change. Is that how you see it? And 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 how do you, how do you see things yeah, at the moment? I think, I think the NHS, if you take the, the, the NHS as, a, as a, an entity, somebody said to me, the NHS is a bit like a a kind of a mobile that's on a ceiling. It looks like it's moving in lots of different directions, yeah. but it never actually ever changes. Yeah. You know, it's always, it always is. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the new rules and the regulations and the changes. And because, unfortunately, you've been around for a long time, like some people say, you've been around the block. I think I've been around several blocks. <laughs> and what we... And people always say to you, don't they? Oh, he'll always bring up the past and he'll always say, oh, well, in my day, we did it this way. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, from a genuinely speaking, I mean, a lot of the things that we did 30 years ago were good practice. And what happened, unfortunately, the NHS decided to change the way it worked. And it actually, to be honest, I believe it threw the baby out with the bathwater a lot of the times it was a complete wholesale change and we didn't keep the good things and now we're bringing back things that we actually did 20 30 years ago like working collaboratively across regions across uh and and those were the kind of things that we put in in the 80s and, and worked very well uh, but we then decided that when i say we the corporate nhs decided that we needed a change of direction and as i say i think we lost we lost quite a lot of stuff that uh, which we should have retained. But that's just my opinion of being I, long in the tooth about these things. I was um, I was actually, when, when I said that we were going to be speaking to you on the podcast, a lot of people spoke about you know, the things you would have seen over the years and you know different structures and that kind of thing. And one of the things that, that, that came up was, was what you think was the best structure, national regional local or a blend 
Well, I mean, I mean, to me, it, it was it was at a regional level because you could reach out to the local uh, the local teams, mm. and they became part of part of your working together. And also, then you'd got the ability to reach upwards to the national level and try and influence what was going on there. Um, I think if you tended to work at national level, you weren't hands-on. You didn't you didn't see what was going on. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, when I've been working, what I call the cold face, the pressures are entirely different to the ones that there are at a, at a national level. Uh, you know, people want things and they want them now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, there's a lot of strategic planning going on at national level, quite rightly, because you do need that sense of direction. But there doesn't tend to be, I don't think, the kind of pressure on you at that level that there is yeah. at, at, at local level or even at regional level. I am involved in the regular meetings that we have with the Future Leaders Group at HCSA which is chaired by Sophie Lilliman. Uh, and, and we chat around a lot of things and 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 what kind of stuff we want to offer to people that are in that position, that are in that um, level of um, junior future leaders. And I was just wondering what, what advice you would give to a future leader now in progression, progressing up the ladder, the way to do it, maybe what advice to seek out, key things that can help you grow within the community? Well, I mean, in, they used to have a thing at one time, if you were in uh, general administration rather than in a particular niche-like procurement, you used to have to go and work in all the different departments within the hospital. And that was the idea that you would get then a much more rounded view about what happened. And mm -hmm. um, I, th I think one of the things that I... I did notice that when we had a lot of meetings, that very rarely were the word patient mentioned. And I used to say to people, hang on, you know, what are we here for? You know, we're not here just to, uh, you know, if we if we wanted just to be in pure procurement, we probably wouldn't choose the NHS. As, sure, as absolutely, yeah. And, and I think uh, people at the back of people's minds, they also think there's a patient to the end of what we do. Yeah. And I, I would always say to people, remember that, mm. you know, because that's, that's the reason you're there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I say, I think people can tend to forget about that. One of the things that, that, that COVID did is that it, it kind of, we've said this before in the podcast, it did drag, um, you know, the human community into the, into the spotlight. And that brought challenges, but it also meant that it brought a renewed or a new, fresh look at the role that they that are played within patient care by the human community, and that definitely happened. So I guess that was one thing. If you positive is the right word, I'm not sure, but I guess that's one thing to be taken from it. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're currently looking at, and uh, you can only squeeze so much out of. Uh, the price of a product or whatever. So I think when we're now looking, and I'm sure colleagues around the country are doing the same thing, is looking at how we work smarter, how we actually, you know, take cost out of the system. Can we look at things that can actually remove the need for a patient to attend so many outpatient visits, for example? Sure. Uh, so working with clinicians, clinical colleagues uh, to look at smarter ways of doing things. 
Uh, and I think that is the future because, you know, I think in a lot of instances we've wrung we've wrung as much out as we can out of the price of products. So it's actually how we work, you know, as I say, much smarter. Um, and, and I think that's what I'd say to people is that forget about, forget about just buying things. Think about, you know, how we work together to, to, to remove cost, remove waste uh, and actually get much better value than we currently do. Uh, again, for the benefit of, uh, of the people that we, uh, that we ultimately serve, which is uh, the public. Just before we head towards the Desdan Supplies bit of the podcast, which I I dropped on Malcolm uh, just before we started recording that we would be having. <laughs> yes, yes. And the usual look of shock and the fear uh, shot <laughs> over the faces. Uh, I was going to there's a couple of things I just wanted to uh, that I wanted to touch on. First of all, uh, we've got there's a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, we've um, HCSA, which I know that you've had that you've had involvements with over the course of your career as well. Um, obviously, we've got this is a big year for HCSA. They're taking on uh, delivering the Excellence in Supply Conference and Awards as well on the regional basis in London South. Uh, Midlands, East of England, and North, and we've got a deadline, a first deadline coming up, which I just wanted to make sure everyone was uh, had firmly in their head of the first of March, and that's for nominations for EIS London South Awards. So make sure you get those in. You should have all members should have a, uh, an email that they should have received about that this this week. You can also find details of it in the weekly newsletter as well as on the website if you look at the awards section. The other thing is, very exciting, is that the National Conference obviously will be coming up, and it's, it's to Telford. It's going to be changing to this November. Um, I was lucky enough to go on the tour of Telford last week, and I must say it's an, it's an excellent venue. It's an excellent venue. Um, I think it's going to be a superb conference there, and I'd heard it was a very good conference uh, conference venue and I have to say I haven't gone on that tour and gone around spoken to the people there looking at the facilities looking at the space it's a very impressive place but what was exciting as well is that we will shortly be launching to look out for this the buy one get one half price for that conference that deal will be coming out extremely shortly so you'll be wanting to keep an eye on that um, and on that matter Malcolm I wanted to ask you how, what role or the significance do you think that HTSA has had during your period and how it's growing during your time? Yeah, I think I've been to quite a few conferences. I, I kind of think I was, uh, I mean, Simon and people like that will probably remember me being at every conference, mm -hmm. probably ever been held actually. But uh, no, I mean, I think a lot of the speakers were very interesting. Um, what it did give me the chance to do is do a lot of networking because you, you met people you hadn't seen for a year or, or, or maybe even longer, actually. And it was a really good opportunity to exchange ideas and, um, uh, as I say, catch up with people who, who you hadn't seen for a while uh, and obviously have a, one or two drinks at the bar, you know, just just the one or two yeah as you, as you do well i think like last year there was like you know we're getting last couple of years like seven eight hundred people and um so that's a lot of people that's a lot of networking opportunities as actually say 
it's uh, unusual to get so many people together to exchange ideas and uh, ways forward and compare notes, etc. At this point, before we move on to the final bit of the podcast, one thing I wanted, wanted to say is what is your feeling now towards the future of NCS procurement? You said before that you've got your eye on potentially retiring properly this time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the next few months, potentially. And I have a feeling that I'll believe it when I, when I see it. Um, <laughs> unless you've bought another shed that you need to paint, in which case, you know, you might, you might need to do it for that. But what, how do you feel about the future at the moment? Well, I mean, if I was coming into this, uh, into procurement uh, and thinking about uh, is that going to be my career going forward, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think I'd be coming in at a really exciting time. There's lots of change going on. There's lots of uh, innovation. There's technology. There are clinicians now who are willing to work more closely with us than they would before. So lots of opportunities and uh, one of the things I am slightly disappointed about is that we have had, you know, and I think lots of trusts have had issues with recruitment at the moment and whether or not we need to try and promote the procurement profession more, more than we currently do uh, and, and, and be able to demonstrate to people that it is something that can give you a good career path and at the same time a rewarding experience um i think we can we could do a bit more to actually encourage people into the profession because uh, i think we we lose a lot of people through uh like me <laughs> i say good people uh, like me through age or whatever it is and uh, i don't see as many people coming along uh to replace us so uh, perhaps the perhaps the association could uh, could do a bit more in that respect to uh, to, to encourage people to join. Well, certainly a large part of what the Future Leaders um, group is, is working on is helping people at that level to see a career path. So certainly retaining of those individuals is something that's easier because they're enjoying it, they feel they have the support, and they also believe they see a way forward in terms of their career. So a lot of things that we're looking at are around those elements um, so, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, there's a clearly there's a staffing issue at the moment in, in you know all areas of the NHS, and uh, it's absolutely a key reason to make sure new talent comes in, but also stays in the community. We are now going to take you off, Malcolm, to the HSA private island for this island surprise. <laughs> And we are giving you the opportunity to have a luxury item, a music, an album of an artist of your choice, and a film. So the way to look at this is one luxury item and an album by an artist, and that's the only thing you can now listen to for the rest of the time, and a film. So it's got to be a film that you're happy to rewatch a lot because it's really got a source of stimulus on there. You want to start with a film? Yes. I mean, my, my, my film would yeah. be uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Oh, fantastic movie. Good. And uh, I did hear that uh, allegedly Clint was paid $12,000 a word because <laughs> the man with <laughs> the name 
very few words to say as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, an absolute, yeah, an, an, an absolute, an, an all-time great movie there. And good, and a long film as well. So yeah. it will take up, you know, it will take up take up time. So yeah. I think if that, I that's... Box, then, it would have been even longer, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a trilogy then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I might let you have. I'll let you have the. Uh, I, I'll let you have like the Doddy's trilogy, if you like. <laughs> you can have <laughs> Fistful of Doddy's, three Doddy's more good than the ugly. Yeah, I've I've got it actually on my bookcases. I look actually. Yeah, you actually look at. You actually look at it now. Western collection. <laughs> well, you. I tell you what. You was you was obviously very firm about what film you wanted to take there. You knew exactly what film you wanted to take. Um, let's. I tell you what. Let's go with the luxury item before we do music. Or luxury item. Do you mean I? Or you're talking about? Oh, music lasts, but a luxury yeah, item. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you know? I'd be hard pressed to think of a luxury item. I mean, my my tastes are so eclectic that um, I don't have a particular niche of something I enjoy. As I pointed out before, you know, a set of golf clubs wouldn't be any good, particularly on a desert island. Would be plenty of time to practice, though. That handicap would be. Shooting down, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, we we used to uh, we used to do a bit of golfing actually when we went uh, to uh, to conference uh, on on a couple of occasions where we were near a golf course. So, uh, yeah. but I, I suddenly realised that my career was not going to be in golf. Uh, far from it, actually. Anything anything that was round shaped with a ball didn't seem to suit me much. So uh, much more of a challenge. Mm. Be hard set, really. What about a decanter full oh. of my favourite tipple? Oh, you can have that. Yeah, you can have that. Absolutely. I yeah. don't think we've had that yet, but I think a very good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, well, a bit like um, you know, one of those. It's a glass, and it was as soon as you finish it, it fills back magically, fills back up again. Yeah, that would be actually wonderful. Wouldn't that it? sounds good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you wouldn't have to sort of go and pour it yourself then, as well. Um, yeah. Okay, so you've got a good brandy ugly. You've got a decanter full of what, what, what like red, what red wine? What are you going for? No, scotch. You would definitely. Oh, be scotch. scotch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right. So you've got good brandy. You've got your scotch, and uh, what is going to be the soundtrack for your uh, for the your stay? Hotel California. Brilliant. The yep. One of the greats. Yeah, it's the lyrics are pretty good, and the guitar riff at the end is uh, is absolutely fabulous. So uh, yeah, so is... sums up to, to me the late six, well, early seventies, I suppose. Really, yeah, uh, when they were when they were at their peak. So uh, so yeah, great group. Really? They actually they actually finished in nineteen eighty, you know, which is you know. Strange to think, isn't it? Which is now 44 years ago. Yeah, crazy. I mean, obviously, they've all gone off and done separate projects and stuff like that. But yeah, there, that is kind of, that is crazy considering the, the as you say, the impact that they had um, was extraordinary. Um, but I tell you what, I could really picture that now. Good, bad, and the ugly, some scotch, and the Eagles playing as well. It sounds like you're going to be extremely happy on that island, Malcolm. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, have me, you have to give me the map directions actually for when I retire. Yeah, I know. I think I've always imagined that we kind of like parachute you, and they're like at the beginning of big episodes of Bear Grylls, where they just sort of yeah. kick him out of the plane and he sort of parachutes into the air. I think that I think that's what we do with your scotch and your good, the bad, and the ugly, your, your Western collection, 
you know, and your um, Hotel California. Yeah, I could survive for some time. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And survive for some time is something you've you've done in NHS procurement. So thank you for the service that you've given as well and, and even coming back after a yeah, yeah, retirement. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I'd like to say, well, I, I think genuinely I have enjoyed most of it. Some of it has not been as enjoyable as the rest. But, uh, yeah, you yeah, know what they you, say. If you, in life, you take everything and with, it's rough and smooth. Isn't it? you know? Without the sour, the sweet is never as sweet. Yeah, that's that what they say. Very Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that, Malcolm. You, you're welcome. And I hope you can join me in the next episode of Supply Cast.